1: Like sort of understate, no one. This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R102.7 FM. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Greening the
2: Apocalypse where each week we ponder if civilization is going to crash and burn or crash through the wall of environmental, financial and political, language warning, clusterfuck. And if it's crash and burn, is there any Cloud Atlas-style neo-tribal jewellery we can make from the wreckage? Or maybe make some permaculture paradise. <laughs> uh, and to that end, tonight, later on the show, we're going to be talking with John Ferris from Edible Forest Gardens, who's going to tell us about all the Harry Potter-style weird and wonderful and edible plants that he grows at his marvellous nursery just on the outskirts of melbourne uh, as you may have noticed if you're a regular listener bushy is away tonight as are kate and sarah all in foreign lands environmental vandals um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we do have as almost always jed mccartney behind the buttons the half man half machine how are you jed i'm well thanks adam how are you very well it was the end of the tour wasn't it it was on yep. the weekend, yeah. It's back to uh, normal sleep patterns now. So, oh, good. Uh, that's good. You look well-rested. <laughs> and in the revolving chair tonight, we have one Charlie Selman, environmental science guy, permaculture student, budding thespian. Budding thespian, yeah. And uh, literal subterranean
0: explorer. Oh, yeah. Do you, you want to tell us about one them. of those two things? Take <laughs> a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind a drain or two, yeah. Pretty that's, interesting, really. That's fascinating. Uh, the urban infrastructure. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, through my, through my youthful vigor, mm. um, and through my teens, I got right down with digging subterranean, different um, water and kind of went from there and started having a look at how, you know, um, ancient tributaries and waterways were then kind of they were concretized, even if that's a word. That is. Um, it is now, yeah. All Triple R's made of the word. Um, but yeah, don't mind a drain or two.
2: Oh, well, good to have you with us, Matt.
0: Lovely to be here. Yeah.
2: We usually start the show with a segment, What Caught My Eye? Anybody itching to go first? Yeah. I'll, Jed, i you want to throw in?
1: Yeah, I'll, um, and, and this is actually What Caught Bushy's Eye then, then Caught My Eye. Um, it's... Uh, about one of my favourite topics, uh, cycle paths. And uh, it's about Germany and they've connected 10 cities um, within their borders uh, with, uh, now what is it, 60 miles of bike path. The aim is to get 50,000 vehicles off the road. So uh, obviously these cities are reasonably close together but the um, bike path is completely separated from the vehicle lanes. Mm. There's, um, I think there's something like 13 feet wide, there's heaps of room, you know, for bikes to go both ways, two abreast, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And um, you know, it's something we need to think about a little oh, bit. Yeah, Blight Street could do with that, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blight Street yeah. could. Well, I mean, yeah. the idea—get imagine fifty thousand vehicles off the road. That's a
0: massive. Is that fifty thousand vehicles like four person per vehicle, or is it just fifty thousand vehicles? Sort of fifty thousand vehicles, and it's probably it's a large one person. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, the, you know those uh, Europeans. Yeah. They're pretty good at carpooling. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. You look around
2: our city, our first city, and I've, there's it's pretty rare to see two people in a vehicle. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. The Americans
2: are pretty good at it as well.
0: Oh, Americans are you know like. top top notch one person car drivers. Yeah.
2: If you, if you ride alone, you ride with Hitler. That was the World War II propaganda. Really? <laughs> we need to bring that back. Oh, really? that'd be <laughs> You know, at a like time to, when saving petrol was like a i like to go deal. and yell that in the Beverly Hills, hey?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's a nice one. What What caught your eye? Charlie. Um, well, my eye was caught by an interesting article called Renewable Jet Fuel Could Be Growing on Australian's Iconic oh. Gum Trees. Um, mm-hmm. It's an article in The Conversation. Um, and basically the article goes on to... Um, I'll just pull out some interesting points from it um, to highlight how um, Australia's sort of budding export, you know, it says that we, um, our economy may have ridden on the sheep's back but the colony's first export was actually eucalyptus oil. True. which I found pretty interesting. And I love a good gum tree at the best of times and the worst of times. Mm. So anything we can use them for. What's a worst-case scenario where you're lying underneath a gum tree? Oh, that would probably... And, and then there'd be, and then there'd be a, an old limb and that would be the... <whistles> but yeah. I, th- I think, Even look, in... at the end of the day, it probably wouldn't be the worst way to go. Yeah. Crushed by an iconic Australian limb. No, that has a certain poetic... Elements. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the um, eucalyptus oil from the peppermint gum was the first um, Aussie export. And got about 7,000 tonnes now of global demand worldwide. But um, Australia's actually now a net importer of its own eucalyptus oil because of competition. It's a bit embarrassing. Isn't, isn't it? It, it a is. bit embarrassing? Go yeah. on, guys. But they are all around the world. Yeah, the world. Well, I think yeah. every country I've been to, I've seen sure. a eucalypt, and I always kind of off a handful. Some of the B- biggest trees in the yes. world are eucalypts. I think, I the, think biggest the second tree biggest tree, the eucalyptus regnans Mount Nash.
2: Yeah. But eclipsed
0: like, only by the... Um, the biggest tree in Europe is some kind of eucalypt. Really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's One pr- of the biggest trees in the Americas too, I think. Well, it would probably be a rogue regnans, hey? Yeah. A rogue yeah. regnans. Yeah. Um, oh. Anyway, and so, look, basically the, the article talks about how an aromatic cocktail called Turpin's are basically the makeup of what eucalyptus oil is and did um this is what
2: gives the um the koalas a little bit of a yeah, <laughs> a yeah. yeah it, probably yeah. it's turpine fermented turpin gets
0: nice and pissed. Mm. But yeah so turpens can be refined through a catalytic process to form a fuel with an energy density in the same league as JP ten tactical jet fuel. Mm. Mm. Some of the challenges from from this sort of stuff is producing enough of the stuff because eucalyptus oil is pretty, um, you know, it takes a lot of leaves to produce a bit of oil. Um, But the article is talking about how there's potential to make it economically viable. 200 kilos of oil per hectare per year is the current plantation produce. Um, But by selecting best genetic stock, blah, 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 um, you could make it up to 500 kilograms per hectare, Mm -hmm. which is not too shabby if i don't you know, i don't know the global um, I'm, use. i'm not feeling it man i'm not feeling it. <laughs> i know you've already expressed it. yeah my face is terrible, <laughs> isn't it? No, but I, I think if... it's an interesting thing and it also talks about so another thing of Turpins is is the production of graphene which is a um, you know pretty high tech looking carbon film sort of situation i don't know you know much about graphene no, i don't even know what you talking um about. <laughs> it's a two-dimensional carbon grid or film less than a millionth of a millimeter thick 100 times stronger than steel. So, you know, I always kind of have a little bit of um, healthy scepticism when I hear, like, 100 times stronger than steel. But, Mm. yeah, according to this article, it is. And terpene is the um, sort of main ideal starting material for production of high-quality graphene. Mm. So The the reason I was a bit sceptical, is like 7,000 tonnes current
2: production. Mm -hmm. And so I just Googled how much does a jet plane f- use, and a 10-hour flight is about 150 tons. Yep. So that's, what's um, 7,000 by 150? It's, it's oh, like sem- less, less than 50 flights. 10-hour flights. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to upscale that. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, Look, that's, it's, that's just it's, what it's, our current co-hosts are responsible for in of this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think it's a Ma-
1: massive potential.
2: Though, massive see, potential, yeah, but oh, it, it requires
1: some vision but from
0: governments. And yeah, but any cut down by Look, you're Grove.
2: comparing something where so you stick sad. a uh, you know a big straw in the ground and outspurts a million years of compressed sunlight, and it's already you know concentrated versus something that's. Distributed and requires cooking and processing and harvesting, and mm. um, it's it's just it's never going to have the energy return on investment that a f- fossil fuel does. Mm.
0: And I, but I think I think as well, like the thing of I mean maybe for the paper as well the the, the thing of um, I think what it's highlighting is interesting is the the use of eucalyptus oil other than just cleaning and smelling mm. nice um, because there are actually a whole bunch. I mean, I think in the world there 's about twelve or thirteen different species that are used for plantations for wood production pulp paper pulp um, but there 's some like about eight hundred different eucalyptus species and in, within that eight hundred eucalyptus species. Some within a single species, the amount of oil found in leaves can vary 30 fold among, among the wild individuals. So, there's oh, yeah. so many different mm. oil cocktails, mm. and not just I think the, the jet fuel one is the kind of audience grabbing sort of interesting yeah. stuff. But the thing of looking into our natural yeah. resources in so a different think, light and, think and beyond Vicks Vaporub. Vick, yeah, exactly. Point. And, and
1: if you can make jet fuel, you can make diesel, you exactly.
0: just add, add oil to it. And you've got yeah. diesel, so um, and I think as well, those are talking about how. Eucalyptus trees are really, really, really versatile growers and quite resilient, so they can grow on um, you know marginal land and all that yeah, sort of stuff. That is true. They um, are remarkable plants. Yeah, yeah.
2: So yeah, that caught my eye. Excellent. Well, what caught my eye uh, was oh, I quite like this YouTube channel called yeah. Minute Physics. I saw that. You oh, some? no, it? Was it the Minute Minute Earth one or? Was oh, it? Minute Earth. That's their off Yeah, yeah. So Minute Earth, and one of my favourite ones they've ever done is called. But also. I, you know, I have a feeling of caution and things. It seems a bit overly simplistic, and yet I, I really like it. It's called Why Poor Places Are More Diverse. Mm, I really liked this one, actually. Yeah, yeah. Thought it was fascinating. And they draw a parallel between a, certain ecologies and uh, human cultures, and they take a look at the dry scrublands of Western Australia, which have terrible soils.
0: And they say that that or was it is a coral, 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 coral gok or something like that in yeah um, I don't something know like that either. yeah
2: in Western Australia. Um, and what they find is that they have up to th- or around three hundred species of plants in the size of a soccer pitch, which is biodiversity off the charts. And what they put it down to. And you find this in the Amazon as well that the, the soils are actually ve- the soils are poor. It's all about the hustle, man. <laughs> it's <about> the hustle. <laughs> yeah, well, so if if you're a plant and you've got um, everything is super, you've got all the water, the sunshine, and great soils that you need. If you get there first and grow the fastest, you can get up and shade out all the competition. The one fat guy in the SUV. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, they use they draw it as a parallel to the WalMarts of the world when they look at it as human cultures. So when you have that, are literally poor soils in these areas of WA and in the Amazon, and what you get is that plants are actually slowed down a bit, and they can't, they don't have all these nutrients to build massive infrastructure, and that creates r- niches, sort of like a
0: corporate watchdog, isn't it?
2: Well, no. Well, there's, that's the thing itself. Like,
0: yeah. Well, it's it's well, it's, it's just of, it environmental acts, conditions. Yeah, it acts as a as a as a means to sort of um, make the playing like yeah. leave, level the playing field. Yeah, yeah. It creates well,
2: it's more anarchy, but within the circumstances of where you can't have a, a, a mega corp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, and right. so they they compare that to human cultures and go well in in rich countries uh, you have uh, single entities taking over all the consumer space the big WalMarts or or Bunnings whereas in majority world countries then that allows for the proliferation of diversity hmm. both uh, linguistically they find. And Culinarily. 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 They say, so with the highest cultural and linguistic diversity as well as the greatest number of businesses in climatically stable places, that's the other Mm, thing. That's the other other qualifier. So it needs to be (laughs) somewhere where humans have been for a long time, and this is the parallel in ecologies, is where there hasn't been a massive reset disaster, environmental disaster, which wipes all the diversity away for quite a while. So you need poor soils and a long time without disturbance. Mm -hmm. That's when you get the diversity. And so they say, and it could be a long bow, but it's certainly a fascinating one, and they find this, that in areas of the world where there hasn't been massive wars or famines and massive disturbances um, that are like cultural resets, uh, but where things are
0: i don't know how i can not um, like like it hasn't been massive wars or, or or famines like i mean i mean well, okay so australia australia mm. there hasn't been a massive war or famine but we're outrageously wealthy by global standards mm.
2: so we're all like you know identical suburbia drive to the um massive shopping complex not all of us. Not but, all of us. But uh, certainly large parts of it. Yeah. And, well, you you in Mexico recently?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's quite, true. Look, quite, Mexico hasn't had... But Mexico's had its fair share of um, revolution, revolutions and, yeah. and, and, and destructive... And I think also, you know, the, the struggle also yeah. produces um, a certain amount of cultural diversity in yeah. itself.
2: Well, we wouldn't want to um, go so far as. Th- there's obviously ways of having both decent levels of affluence and maybe your corporate watchdogs, of which you oh, speak, watchdogs. to to create best of both worlds somehow. It's well, supposed but, to do. Um, anyway, something to think about, mm. and of slight relevance to our talk later when we talk about um, diversity in the garden with John.
0: You are listening to a Triple R podcast. Yeah, it's
2: right. It's it just means like a radio show on the internet.
0: I wish I could get I've never turned that radio on.
2: You've never listened to my show, is that what you're
0: telling me? Oh I did one day in the thing. You, you. <laughs>
2: you are on Greening the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R, and tonight in the studio we are talking to John Ferris. He has a background in horticulture, permaculture, garden and landscape design and community radios. we just found out and he is particularly passionate about something called edible forest gardens and that is in fact the name of his business but it's also a thing and he runs a large nursery in Wonga Park on the, at the edge of Melbourne's east which I was lucky enough to just happened to be driving past uh, a couple of months ago, and dropped into, and it was a veritable botanical imaginarium of weird and wonderful food plants, and uh, I felt like I was the in the permaculture equivalent of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Uh, so thank you, and we get, uh, for coming in, John, and you're going to no sh- brought a few things in for us, which is yeah, doubly fantastic. So welcome to Triple R. Thank you. Uh, now. Let's let's just set the framework for why what you're doing is uh, significant and important. I just did a little Google, and apparently, three fifths of the, the total food we eat comes from three crops: annual grains, yep. maize, rice, and wheat. Problems there. I always like
3: to talk about the number four crop, which we don't sort of mention, uh, which is in the, like in particularly in uh, the Western world, hmm. which is lawn. <laughs> a lot of people don't realise that just as much energy goes into producing lawn as all those other crops. Yeah. It's number four from the planet. It's crazy stuff. Um, I have a small lawn. I'm mm-hmm. not anti-lawn, but, you know, it's all good. But, look, diversity is the key. Um, mm-hmm. One of the reasons for becoming interested in, in forest gardening was, look, I've been a gardener for a very long time. I am also t- t- tend to be a bit lazy. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of having a vegetable garden and tilling the soil and... Trying to create a a lot of work for myself, and inevitably, you get sidetracked, the weeds come back, you've got to put more work in. Mm. When I came across permaculture and the whole idea of an edible forest garden, which is an edible ecosystem, Mm. which is self maintaining and self fertilizing, I went, This has got to be great. This is a great idea. Let's have a look at this. And because I've got a background in horticulture, it was just a natural fit Mm. and got very, very excited. And the more I looked into uh, the diversity of food plants on the planet, which it guesstimates, there's about twenty thousand different food plants on the planet that humans can eat, mm. of which, like you say, um, yeah, the main crops, yeah, most people probably eat about two hundred, probably thirty on any sort of regular basis. Mm. Two hundred is about larger is.
0: than I thought
3: we'd eat. Yeah, mm. overall, as a species. Oh, okay, right. yeah, and of course. I mean, you, and coupled with that um, is the the nutrient density of those sort of main crops seems to be dropping, which mm. is fairly common sort of knowledge these days. Yep. Um,
0: and probably the damage to arable land would probably be a bit of a factor in there as well of all these annual crops that we're producing, hey? Absolutely,
3: yeah, absolutely, with the large mechanising... Um, Industrial agricultural systems and all the poisons and chemical fertilizers and all that stuff that we're putting into our bodies and into the rest of the planet is certainly not helping things. Mm-hmm. And so we look at edible forest gardens as an alternative um, to growing good crops and sustainably um, as an alternative. And it's certainly I've got one myself uh, one of our main goals in uh, the reason we established the nursery was to get the whole idea of get as many um, edible forest gardens out there in the suburbs and just see what happens. I mean the movement over in, um, started basically in England, it's gone to America and it's been going for about 20 30 years, we're just a bit slower in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got a whole stack of other climate conditions that we can grow things. I mean typically uh, a lot of the the American books and certainly the English books don't grow avocados. Mm. You can
0: grow an avocado no problem in Melbourne. Which I don't think a whole lot of... I mean, like, obviously a certain amount of people know, but mm. I don't think a whole lot of people know that you can actually grow an avocado in Melbourne in the right conditions. Yeah, there's uh, commercial
2: orchards on the peninsula, I believe. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, what distinguishes this thing, Edible Forest Garden? You've mentioned diversity uh, from... Uh, annual cropping broad acre wheat production for example
3: typically we um, we look at um at just mo- mo- modeling the uh, the garden like a forest mm. like the forest is one of the most productive systems on the planet um but you know e- eucalypts for example you can't really eat in many fo- of our forests so it's a forest designed purposely for food production and production of things that we can use um and just taking the same attributes of a forest and introducing them into into uh, making an eco- ecological system that will look after itself. And that's the idea. Does
0: that include as well, like the the inclusion of um, of animals in the forest as well? Always,
3: um, including ourselves,
0: which yeah, in a okay. lot of
3: cases, um, in most, we tend to forget, forget about it, the yeah. humans <laughs> are actually intimately involved in the system. Um, and yeah, you've got um, uh, all the animals you can put in chickens, animals, that type of thing. But, of course, you're going to have the birds that are going to visit the garden, hopefully not too many cockatoos. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to have the insect life, vital, absolutely Mm -hmm. vital for a sustainable ecosystem, any type. And you can have the possums and you can have... One of the interesting things I've discovered... How do you
0: deal with possums?
3: Well, diversity is the key. (laughs) (laughs) They can't eat everything. That's it. You just put enough out there and you'll get some return back. If you put a lot of energy in, you'll get some out. But if you walk away, I haven't really worked in my garden now for two years, and yet I can still walk out there pretty much every day and get something back.
1: But if I go out and put more energy into the system, I'll probably get more back. So, What does it look like, John? So if I wanted to convert my front yard in Brunswick into mm-hmm. an um, edible forest garden, because when I uh, first heard this term, you know, you start imagining forests. Yeah. So what, what does it look like is it is it it's very much
3: a um there's a lot of examples in in this sort of area um in a, it can be as big as you like or as small as you like it doesn't really matter but it's the it's adapting it um to your environment um it's usually we talk about a system of layers mm. so in a forest you have an upper layer canopy you have a mid-layer like a f- small fruit tree in this in this case might be the guy and then you have some understory crops herbs herbaceous um, plants those sorts of things even bulbs uh, all kinds of things. So it's, it's in,
0: in ground covers. You've got edible ground covers as well. Um, okay. So, yeah. John, would the, upper, would the upper layer be some sort of large, uh, what, like a nut tree or something like that?
3: Could be, preferably, depending on the scale. Yeah. If you're looking at, because uh, if it's going to be anything over, look, five, six metres, you don't really want to climb it. Yeah. So, a nut tree is ideal because it'll drop, like a macadamia, for example, mm. it'll drop and deposit all its nuts on the ground and yeah. be fantastic. You don't have to do the work. And then adjacent to that, um, you can put in some small fruit trees or something like
2: that. Yeah, apple, pear, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And what are, what are some of the other plants that you might find in the garden?
3: Well, we've got a whole stack of, Oh, other layers. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we talk about the fungal mm-hmm. layer is another layer that you put into mm-hmm. the system. So mm-hmm. you can do that type of thing.
2: So you've introduced edible mushrooms into...
3: Yeah, into we do. Yeah. Our uh, well... The, Honestly, I didn't introduce them. They just <laughs> they appeared. They yeah. just part of the system. Squatters. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Edible squatters. <laughs> Fantastic.
2: <laughs> so you said this has been around for 20, 25 years as a movement. Yeah. And I don't know. Obviously, there's got to be heritage that goes back beyond that. And it's, but it seems like it's mostly where there are traditional systems that sort of similar to what you describe as in the tropics
3: yeah that's that's correct yeah. yeah um the the formation of per, when permaculture when bill and, and had a look at permaculture initially they copied a lot of the forest systems from mm. up north and permaculture initially was based a lot about um those tropical systems mm. some of the um home gardens in the um, in the tropics for example some of them are two hundred, three hundred thousand years old in some cases and have been going but they're so Have been grown by the locals, the natives, as it were, Mm. for so long that they don't appear to be um, cultivated gardens anymore. And so, Mm. Western anthropologists go along and go, "Oh, this has always been here." Yeah, you can see a. Did you say up to a thousand years old? Yeah, some of them. Well, you know, we'd like to have a look at um, some of the systems in our own culture, uh, some of the original Aboriginal systems Mm. in. in Yeah, how old are they? And they weren't recognized as any form of agriculture at all, and yet Mm. that's all coming to light now that they're actually, the Aboriginal people, fantastic
0: um, farmers and growers. Really good. Yeah, Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see. So the food forest concept sort of blurs the line between, you know, um, kind of like cultivated, you know, row crops. And you're kind of yeah, like boring. tending to... Yeah, boring. <laughs> um, and tending to kind of mix it up and switch up the the structure so that it, it kind of emanates nature. Um, and I guess there was, you know, there's a, bit, there's a fair bit of evidence of, of, of traditional cultures doing that, like tending to wild plants, to mm-hmm. um, tending to the more productive wild plants um, and taking taking fruit from them and, you know, leaving other ones sort of thing. So, I mean, it's interesting to see, you know, the sort of evolution of. Well, they, they uh,
3: postulised that, I mean, bread came out of, uh, out of the. Um, out of the. out of
2: the. Uh, the, the Fertile Crescent. Fertile Crescent, thank yeah. you. Um, I called it the yeah. Golden Circle on radio once. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the Golden <laughs> Triangle. <laughs> you know, when you leave a studio and you go, something was not quite right. The Ring of Fire. Yeah. Anyway, please continue.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, and so wherever humans have gone, of course they've cultivated plants. Yeah. It's just part of our nature. It's what we do. I mean, yeah. we are um, the gardeners of the planet. Mm. Um, and we've actually forgotten that in a lot of cases, I think. Mm. And, but we've always adapted and taken gene, genes and manipulated genes to get a better crop. Yeah. It seems to be just one of the things we do, and we're
2: particularly good at
3: it, yeah, quite frankly.
2: Yeah. Well, there's probably obvious reasons why we have focused on those um, energy-dense uh, grasses, the grains in the past and but we're seeing the environmental degradation caused by them has caused civilizations to fall in the past and mechanizing it and adding uh, artificial fertilizers and herbicides and pesticides to the mix seems to be speeding up that process in our world tenfold and so we see our rivers running brown with all the soil that's being lost and this seems to offer at least at the home scale an interesting alternative does it scale up at all or is it when, when we've yep. got a complexity of diversity, is that just something unmanageable at the larger scale?
3: No, actually. Uh, the more diverse the system, the easier it is to manage. Um, um, Bam. Yeah. Take
2: that, Monsanto.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. It's far easier to manage on a, on a big uh, We're looking at putting in a, no- a number of sort of public gardens, yep. uh, forest gardens, um, wherever we can get them. Anyone mm-hmm. wants to ring me? Light it. And just scaling it up so people yep. can have access to food. Yeah. Um, wherever they go and just and ties into all the um, you know, the problems with um, sustainability and all those sorts of issues
0: yeah Yeah, but you take gives a whole new meaning to go from a walk going for a walk in the park that'd be fantastic go for a walk in the park and
3: there's a lot there's a lot people can eat
0: um, yeah. just
3: out there on the in the burbs that aren't even talked about. And that's yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. reasons we started doing this program was to educate people that, yeah, yeah, hey, this is good. You're probably growing it already. You can eat it. You're
0: probably trying to kill it. <laughs> <You're> probably.
3: <laughs> and you are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3RRR.
2: Greening the Apocalypse is the show and Triple R is where you are. We have been talking and are continuing to talk with John Ferris. He is owner and proprietor at Edible Forest Gardens. And we've been talking about what that means, which is his business name, but also what he does. And now we're about to taste very excitedly <laughs> looking at this incredible pile of weird food. Very colorful, very interesting. Now, you oh. mentioned, John, that you don't eat a regular diet. How many, how many food plants would you eat in a normal day? Oh, look, I probably as I'm wandering around the nursery, I'm probably consuming uh, probably
3: 30 to 40 at yeah. least. Um, flowers, leaves, all different types of things um, as we're growing through. So, there's yeah, you're just picking and eating all the time. I'm, and I'm not getting getting fatter, which is really cool. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> How many things do you actually grow there? Uh, look, last time I looked, it was about um, not counting, like, apple varieties, for example. Mm. Um, look, probably 750-odd um, plants, not counting, not counting Things the like five hundred and fifty variety. varieties of apple, for example. Wow, you know. Um, so they're yeah, and we're just developing more and more all the time. I, I discover pretty much a new plant every week, and I've either got to go and get it, I can or try see and find it You've got it the addict look in
0: your eyes. I,
3: yeah, I'm definitely a plant geek.
0: Hey, yeah. the, what, um, like you're obviously growing plants from all different sort of ecological niches and different, um. Um, areas of the does. world, climates, and yeah. stuff like that. Are there any plants that just don't grow?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. There is stuff. You, you look, you're, you're going to struggle to grow a mango in Melbourne. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah, it's just not going to. It's just not viable. Um, you know, avocados, not a problem but, Coconuts and, and part of think that about it. coconut, yeah, exactly, yeah. although there is a nice dwarf coconut, which is possible
2: Oh, the Chilean, what do they call yeah. them? Dwarf with a little, coconut? Yeah, like yeah. the size of a, a, a macadamia. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's quite small.
0: And what's so, that, yeah, <laughs> getting that open Again, for plant geek small. stuff huh?
3: <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so look, I bought a whole stack of stuff for you yeah. the ice oh, to try. Bring um, it, bring it what are Like you were talking about eucalypts before, which is really nice, and this one's, I'm going to past oh, that. use this pens. one. This is a, a lemon iron bark. It comes mm-hmm. from actually up right up north. Yep. Um, just crush it and have a smell, guys. This sit here and about that. What, while the guys are uh,
1: looking at that on the other side of the desk, oh, I have that. to say, Adam's been drooling um, for probably the last 15 minutes uh, have, looking I've, at this for who haven't so. been able to concentrate <laughs> on anything else. Mm, yeah, I'd say this no, that smells some, beautiful. Some,
2: and uh, the, you it you just smells smell like ones. a... Uh... Like it would make a nice tea, almost. Yeah. yeah. Could add an Earl Grey it. What were
0: you saying before was like a bay leaf sort of Thing you can put it like in a bay leaf. A yeah. leaf. yeah, that's why. Wow, I mean. and it's easy Beautiful. to
3: grow. I mean, and there's another like there's another two or three eucalypts. You it's can, so you potent, can, isn't it? The strawberry eucalypt's another one. You know, and do you get a bit tipsy like to get a
2: bit tipsy like a koala? Like, <laughs> do you, <laughs> have, <laughs> you drink
3: I don't know. Yeah. But
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> else you got for us? Okay. Well, that's sort of like the upper story plant. Uh huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh yeah. because yeah, go, yeah. so we're, we're going go, go to go down Straight in the, down, the forest As we go through, like I've got a couple of quite a few forms of abutilon, which is sort of like the hibiscus family. Yeah. Which you can eat most. Most of them you can eat. Most
2: hibiscus you can eat. Most
3: hibiscus you can eat, and it's an enormous genera, it's um, yeah. mulva it's just mulvaeaceae, it's just yeah. huge and the vast majority, including the native ones you can eat, yeah. um, but of course eating is one thing, palatability is another, yep. mm-hmm. um, so I've brought our, along a few that we've been sort of experimenting, all the plants that I have at the nursery I've actually eaten and so I can you vouch go. that you, I'm there's, not going to kill there's you guys okay. growers guarantee, yeah absolutely, so have a, have a nibble of that one, that 's abutilon it's one of the abutilons, right. or Chinese lantern and it's got a really Check nice... one over this way. It's oh,
0: yeah. It's sort of... Um, oh, what's that remind me of? They're quite mm. sweet. It's sweet. Um, mm. It's very good. It's got a little bit of the um,
2: mucilage of the Melva family. Damn, yes, exactly. It's bit very, gooey. Bit gooey. Bit but good.
3: Really um, really good for the digestive system,
2: mm. all those sorts of things. And that would be beautiful on a salad. Yeah. Because right. it looks fantastic. What We're, we're looking at this... Uh, Beautiful orange hibiscus and flower the with a red, beautiful, beautiful with yellow red. in the middle.
0: Red and variety
3: is this the? Yeah, this um, is a uh, this is a fairly new form uh, which we've tried. Same it's kind it's of thing. Same sort
0: of thing. It's really did you think of that one? Yeah. And so they were, that's what it reminds me of. It tastes a little bit like a fig. Just a, a very, very, very subtle, figgy... I'll go with that.
2: Mm. Now, I'm imagining... So Jed was asking what, what things look like before, and we talked a bit about, you know, the using the word forest, but aesthetically, mm. that is going to be a beautiful plant. And well, it's flowering now, and the, like, it's, yeah. it's real good for the, for the honey eaters and the bees
3: love it. So it's yep. got a number of sort of features in the garden besides yeah. just edibility. And that's another and sort of... And it's of, tough as nails. You I can't mean, kill it.
2: If someone's got one of these... Gardens going in their front yard, basically, you could make it look like the neighbour's cottage garden, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just the difference is that every plant in there is edible. Uh, this we're heading around thinking, another one yeah, now. It looks this is, a bit similar. It's
3: similar. It's this, uh, this called a, a Turkish
2: turnip. Yeah. Yeah. itching for some.
3: Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Get one over there. Um, um, it's, it's got a tropical vibe. It's like. Yeah, know. this is a mulva viscus. Okay. Um, which is. Um, a little bit more tropical. It's mm-hmm. one of my best edible flowers of the lot. I it's can imagine really, that oh, decorating really, a pina colada. It's, really it's
0: going it's very nice, nice. very nice, dripping,
3: and it's All tropical. Right. But it's growing. Um, it's a there's a plant not far from Sydney Road in Brunswick, growing on a nature strip. No attention, no anything. It's loving it. So it oh, oh, okay. can grow really so well. So hardy, yeah, hardy yeah, yeah. on a nature strip, yeah.
1: I'm surprised more chefs don't use this stuff to decorate salads, as you suggested, Adam. Definitely. I mean, they're beautiful flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really, ta- they're really
3: vibrant really colours. nice. Yeah. What else have we got, John? Um, uh, well, Moving another ahead. common plant that people yeah. have in their gardens are fuchsias. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, look, there's a whole stack of fuchsias. Yeah. Um, some, and I call them pepper berries, which I've got one later. Mm. Uh, you can try. And, but I always get a little bit too good at the back of the throat. Oh, yeah, I've eaten hot. them
2: too, and you get it's slightly unpleasant with some species well, this well, is, or some varieties.
3: So this particular variety go I'm going to pass around for you guys is yeah. uh, Fuchsia boliviensis. I wonder mm-hmm. where that comes from. Um, and these are one of the best ones I've ever, I've ever had. I think it's fantastic. So, what, and are these,
2: so people would be familiar with the flowers of fuchsias, but you might not have noticed the berries, and they're kind of lo- – it looks more like or less grape. like a – uh, a bullet. A bullet, as yeah. exactly, like as in the, yeah. the, the... The lolly. Not a three or three. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the lolly, the chocolate-coated licorice. That's what it looks like. And they're almost translucent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh.
3: But there's they're not really a juicy. lot of fruit around mm. this time of year. Yep. And no, that's good. These are really good.
2: And you don't get... In this particular variety, you don't get this... The tickle. The weird scratch in no, the back of the throat. That's no, really nice. Very nice. Very the nice. future. And so that, they also produce a lot of flowers and nectar and bring in birds yeah that uh fuchsias like yeah. the honey eaters love the fuchsias and they then they stick around and because they they are omnivores and they eat insects, so once you get the honey eaters and and the wattlebirds in the garden, they end up doing a lot of pest control for you, don't they? So yeah. this is a dual purpose plant. Yeah, so and, and
3: wattlebirds are great in the garden. A lot of people have a problem with those but they actually chase out a lot of the other um, like blackbirds, that type of thing, that yep. might actually eat some of your fruit trees because so they're very territorial.
0: Looking good isn't so, you
3: know, yeah. So diversity is a good thing. Um, now we'll talk about Ground covers and things like that. Got a couple yep. of ground covers for you guys to try. We've That'd put in great. some um, some violets. Yep. People may or may not realise that you can eat the flowers and some of well, the I'm leaves of violets. cake decoration a lot. But,
2: mm. Yeah.
3: But uh, look, they they, they taste like they smell. They're yep. fantastic. You wouldn't make a, a meal out of them, but
2: a few mm. flowers in the salad, mm. awesome, really good. Well, so far we're uh, it's been a very visually uh, beautiful. Uh, gastronomic Mm. experience. Mm. But I don't think we're feeding the world with these flowers. Have you got anything with some calories? Yeah, just try this one. This is um, Chinese artichokes. Okay, it looks like a witchetty grub. They do look like a witchetty witchetty grub, grub. but it's a plant. It's not moving. That's confirmed. (laughs) And it's uh,
0: very crunchy. Crunchy. Mm. So So this is a
2: root crop, presumably?
3: Yeah, it's um, like a mint it's a mint family. It yep. can be a bit invasive, so you want to grow uh-huh. it in a pot if you've got a small area. Mm. Uh it likes a bit of a drink, but mm. really easy plant to grow. Yep, it's That'd got um, inulin too. It's got a different form of starch. Doesn't so that make
2: you very bit good gassy?
3: Food. Can a bit gassy. no, not like uh, farty chokes. Okay. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> nowhere near. <laughs> right. They're um, it, just enough, um, yep. but just look, never never really took off in um, a lot of cultures. But I think there's fantastic.
0: Um what's mm. the um, like? How he's using it too? He said they're a root crop. Are they pretty easy to get out of the ground?
3: Oh yeah, they yeah, only grow down about oh, five, ten centimeters yeah. mm. into the ground. So, and unlike easy potatoes, hardest.
2: even though they're very small, they um, they are very clean and smooth, so they'd be easy to wash.
0: Yeah, mm. so. have a slightly sort of nutty. Yeah. Mm, not a lot of flavour, but but, no, very, but pleasant subtle, very pleasant texture. All about it?
2: Oh, okay. Now this looks more serious. We're mm. yeah, holding something the size of a cricket ball, but looks like it could be off Doctor Who, and it could hatch into <laughs> Sorry, a the crazy sucking alien truffle. Yeah. No, that 's white yeah. potato. We actually. Yeah. What have we got? What do we got there, John?
3: This is a um, Apios, or um, uh, it's a uh, groundnut.
2: Groundnut. Oh, That's yeah. an American
3: native. Yep. Um, uh, we, uh, apparently the. The Indian people used to transport them all over the Americas, mm-hmm. and look, we've just happened across a, a particularly good cultivar. Um, yeah. It doesn't seem to produce any any seed. It's a legume, yep, uh, oh, right. and it produces crops. From, um, well, I planted three. I got a, a massive crop just out of three little tubers, and they're really very, very productive.
0: So, legume, would I be right in presuming that it's also a nitrogen fixer? Correct. So again, dual purpose. Dual purpose. So nitrogen
2: fixing, it's like adding. F- you said that your edible forest gardens uh, produce their own fertilizer. That would be an example. You are on Greening the Apocalypse on three Triple R, commencing the wrap up. John, what have you got coming up? Or I know you regularly do free workshops because part of what you're... you've started a business, but now you have to tell people why they should come to you.
3: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we regularly have. Um, um, speaks uh, talks and and um, which is free we don 't charge for them we just you know gold coin donation it 'd be nice to cover cover the coffee that 'd be fine, but typically in the first Sunday of the month, we try and have some events out there. the next one coming up will probably be on some of these tubers that we 've been talking about today, um, but we do everything from um, just regular gardening shows as well um, and citrus is a good one that 's always very popular mm-hmm. and uh, yeah just to get just to get people in contact back with the soil which is, you know, you, you can go to Mr Bunnings, but you may not get quite the service that you're looking for, answer some of the
2: questions and, and we've got a different, slightly
3: different talk, take on, on how we do things, so, you
2: know Oh, I'm sold. And where, where do we find your services? Uh, we're out at
3: Wonga Park, um, number 5 Lower Homestead Road in, in Wonga Park so. so, Folks,
2: Google Edible Forest Gardens, they'll probably in Wonga and Park, they will find you. Facebook page Yep, brilliant uh, well, thank you, folks. Thanks, Jed, for pressing all the buttons this evening. My pleasure. Thank you, Charlie. You've been an excellent co-host.
0: My absolute pleasure.
2: And thank you so much, John, for coming all the way from Wonga Park. And the food. Fantastic. The fantastic And bringing food. in amazing food. We tasted some great tomatoes and, and uh, rare varieties
0: thereof. I hope so. our descriptions were sort of fitting. <laughs> Well, I had a good time. Yeah, I yeah, had a good,
2: good time. time. Sorry, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's happening next week? Next week, thank you, Jed. We're going to be talking to Shiona Candy. She is a return guest and she has just produced a, a document called Foodprint Melbourne, which is looking at Melbourne's food bowl, how are we going to feed ourselves now and when the population rises to 7 million people. And we'll have the uh, two lovely uh, lady co-hosts
1: back from uh, OS. No, we'll oh. have we'll have one. Oh, we might have both, you're right. Yeah, it's definitely good. Yeah. yeah, we'll be able to hear about the whole world Excellent. between their travels almost.
2: Grubby, or Adam has been my name. You can call me either, I don't <laughs> mind. Uh, we'll be back next week. And until then, have all the fun. <laughs>